0: hello again and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass podcast this is Andy Bitter from the Roanoke Times the Virginia Tech football beat writer I'm joined with by Mike Barber of the Richmond Times Dispatch Uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these Mike these post-game raps uh, coming to you after Virginia Tech's 35 to 24 come from behind win in the Belt Bowl against Arkansas. Uh, Mike, I think both of us thought our stories were going to go a different direction at halftime when Virginia Tech was down 24 to nothing. Uh, Complete turnaround. Uh, I, I think as the ESPN stat was 102 games this year a team had trailed by 24 points or more at the half, and they had been 0 102. Until Virginia Tech came back and won this game in, in pretty uh, resounding fashion in the second half, uh, what are the, what are your big takeaways from the game here?
1: Yeah, I'm certainly a stunning comeback and a very unusual. I thought um, a lot of times when you see a team have a comeback like this, uh, it's because they were making the big mistakes in the first half. Uh, you know, they're fumbling, they're throwing interceptions, they're getting too many penalties, and you know there were some things. But but overall, I didn't think Virginia Tech had played. Horribly in that first half. I thought they had just been outplayed. I thought Arkansas looked like by far the superior team. And uh, then they came out in the second half, and, and that script was flipped entirely. Um, I, I thought it was obvious that Virginia Tech had more talent, had had better players at, at almost every spot. And uh, that's unusual to me. It wasn't about cutting down mistakes. It was uh, just a total flip of, of who was playing football and who really wasn't. Um, that being said, I thought it was an impressive way to to cap a debut season for a head coach who had talked so much about uh this team chemistry and spirit and and things like that and you know we saw a little bit of it with the notre dame comeback, but uh nothing like this and and that was uh pretty impressive and and kind of speaks to you know we joke sometimes about do these bowl games really matter and really they probably don't but it shows you that once they start playing and once the game starts uh you know if you're a player you want to win when you're on that field and uh they certainly did that on thursday
0: yeah, I, I thought the most amazing thing was how quick and tidy the comeback was. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they scored 28 points in essentially 18 minutes to take the lead. And normally when you have that comeback, it's, you know, they're frantically to the finish trying to come back, finish the thing up uh, right in the final seconds. But, I mean, they took the lead with, what, 10 minutes left? Uh, you know, five minutes left. I had my story written. I was just waiting to plug in the final score. I mean, I thought it was amazing how much they had come back. I mean, they actually covered for goodness sake, and they were more than the t- uh, touchdown favorite in that game. You don't see that uh, when they, when you have such a huge deficit like that. That's how stark the turnaround was. Uh, I just thought it was really impressive. Uh, you know, I, I think, like you mentioned, the Notre Dame stuff earlier this year, they had been through games like that before where, uh, you know, had been in the big hole, so it wasn't that big of a deal to them. I know this was a little bit bigger, but uh, I, I think everybody always assumes at halftime it's, Oh, Fuente went in there and he tore him a new one and he was screaming the paint off the walls and all that stuff. And I, I just don't get the impression that that's how they go about their business. They go, all right, that was a really crappy half. Let's go play better in the second half. I mean, I asked Sam Rogers about what, you know, what was it like at halftime? It's like most of us just eager to get back on the field. It wasn't like this, you know, Friday Night Lights emotional speech or anything like that that they got the team going. They just, you know, started playing more than anything.
1: Yeah, and I I do think that is sort of the character of this team. I also think uh, anything that goes on that locker room, this is a program going forward that uh, is not interested in sharing the details of that. That, that is a very good point. But but I do think you're right. I, I And I think it's, it's a very sort of logical approach to say, if Arkansas can score 24 unanswered points in a half, then Virginia Tech can score 24 unanswered points in a half. Um, so if you think about it logically, uh, it makes sense. But... It's just not the way football works. I mean, you don't get dominated like that. Um, It's one thing to be able to come out for the second half and just not have your will broken. You you know, teams that are down by that big a margin at halftime, if they come out and compete in the second half, uh, we write stories praising their effort uh, because they didn't quit, they didn't give up even though the game was over. But to come out um, that calmly and just go about doing what you need to do. Um, and It was interesting. You know, I asked some of the guys about emotion, and because we saw a ton more emotion in the second half, but they noted, hey, there was emotion after big plays. Uh, there just wasn't opportunities for emotion. They didn't think they came out flat, in other words, energy-wise. They didn't have anything to celebrate in the first half. They had a lot to celebrate in the second half. So uh, exactly to your point, it, it wasn't about rah-rah or playing harder or any of those things it was they just played better football and, and revealed that in actuality they were a much better football team than arkansas
0: i had covered one other game in my life where a team was down 24 points and came back to win it that was the 2010 auburn team against alabama uh, down 24 nothing came back and won that game 28 27 i believe that team had cam newton uh also is playing an Alabama defense that was pretty good, this Arkansas defense, not the Alabama 2010 defense. So if you're going to do it against anybody, uh, Arkansas was the team that you could do it against. I think I think David Teal had tweeted that Arkansas had given up 28 points or more in the second half four times. So uh, it was there for the taking. I really thought this game turned with the defensive effort in the second half. Uh much more aggressive, it seemed like, for Bud Foster's group. Six sacks all in the second half. Uh, the turnovers are really the key part. I mean, you got the fumble forced right on the first drive, three interceptions eventually in the second half. Virginia Tech scored touchdowns on all four of those drives, and I think totaled those four drives went 87 yards. So it's not like they had to go the length of the field in these comebacks. Uh, what did you think about the way that defense played in the second half?
1: Yeah, and again, it speaks, and I know there's people who will take the flip side and criticize the fact that the defense didn't play all that well in the first half, um, but I think it speaks again to, to what Bud Foster can do uh, with halftime adjustments. Um, we've seen it in the time you and I have been doing covering this team. We've seen it so many times, um, and it goes into what you were saying about Coach Fuente and the overall program of sort of the calmness. They they made their adjustments. They came out and, and believed that if they were in the right spots, and we hear the kids say this all the time, that Bud Foster is going to give them the right game plan, and if they execute it, they'll be fine. Uh, and here they come out and follow the adjustments, and all of a sudden – Here's a ball on the ground, and here's a ball in the air that they can pick off. And um, absolutely, you know, the defense, the turnovers were what changed that game. It's also what brought out the emotion. It made things easier on the offense. Um, And I think if you're Arkansas and you have this track record of uh, they've been outscored ridiculously in the second half, that's been their MO all year. They have not been a second half team. It certainly happened in that disappointing regular season loss to end the year against Missouri. So I think when you start having Virginia Tech taking the football away, um, that's a particularly demoralizing action by the opposing team. Um, it's one thing to get hit by an 80-yard touchdown bomb and you say, all right, you know, we messed up, that got away. There's something demoralizing about losing the ball, losing your opportunity to add to your lead, and then seeing the other team punch it in right away. So uh, no doubt it was the defensive turnovers that changed things, the offense being able to capitalize on them, um, changed the whole flow of the game, and, and really – when you talk about momentum, you would think it would take a lot to shift momentum when you're down 24 nothing, and it really didn't. It, it took the first turnover and, and maybe that first touchdown.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting is, well, oh, Bud Foster's group turned on the switch in the second half. You know, Arkansas didn't really run the ball for anything in the first half. It mm-hmm. had 43 yards in the first half, so Virginia Tech just sort of continued that in the second half, shored up its pass defense, started getting after the quarterback and forcing him into mistakes. Uh, you know, I thought it was a really great team effort uh, on defense. Yeah, you know, I thought the that was the best the whip position has looked in forever. Probably. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a game where the whips had a bigger impact like that since I've been covering the team in the last five years. Uh, you know, Anthony Chigag started, played a big role, had a, a forced fumble and in interception. Mook Reynolds came on late, had the two sacks, first two sacks of his career. Uh, I thought they really played well. Defensive lines started getting after the quarterback. I, I just thought it was a very, very strong defensive effort that, uh, you know, that was sort of, uh, you know, how Virginia Tech has come back in those kind of games before is the defense starts it, the offense uh, takes advantage of some of those drives. And, you know, when you get the ball at the eight yard line, the five yard line, I mean, you should be scoring touchdowns. That makes it very easy for even a bad offense. And this is a very good offense. So they, they finally got going. Uh, to flip it to that offensive side. I mean, were you surprised by how slow they start? I mean, I asked a couple guys in the lead up to the game and, you know, you you play all these games week to week during the season. And I said, you know, you take a month off like this. Do you lose your timing? Do you lose any sort of rhythm that you had going? And (laughs) to a man, every guy I ask has kind of poo pooed the question like, no, no, you know, we practice, we'll keep our timing like that there's something about playing in games that is different than practice. And I think you kind of saw a little bit of rust in that first half. Uh, Did you think they'd be that rusty or that sort of out of sync in the first half? And then how surprised were you that they turned it around?
1: Yeah, I really didn't. I think maybe to me, it's a bigger factor of, Playing a defense you haven't seen, and you you try to watch personnel on tape, and and obviously that's what you know. This coaching staffs do for a living, but um, I think it's hard when when you haven't played somebody when you see somebody for the first time. Um, And this is a a trend of Virginia Tech football the last few years that there is an adjustment period. Um, You know, we've seen it for the defense when they go against some of these super up tempo like an ECU offense um, that it kind of took them a little while to get their feet under them, get their legs under them. Um, I think that's what it was. I, I think. Um, You know, had they played somebody maybe they were a little more familiar with that you shake the rust off a little quicker. Um, But I think the feeling out process for Virginia Tech took a lot longer, certainly, than the feeling out process for Arkansas. And that's what got Arkansas off to the start. And that's why we saw so little really offensively from Virginia Tech and and why we saw some of the busted coverages defensively. Um, It just took really a full half for both of those units for Tech to, to get comfortable with this is Arkansas, this is what they look like, uh, this is the size of their team, the the pace of their team. Um, and then once that happened, uh, I, I thought the offense, you know, that second half might have been as efficient as we've seen them be offensively. Again, obviously the short fields have a lot to do with that. And it might have been as dominant uh, as we've seen them, Uh, for a half defensively. So uh, once they got their legs under them, I I thought that was a pretty uh, impressive performance.
0: Yeah, I thought it was, it seemed like it was just a foregone conclusion. I think they got back to 24-21. It's like, well, they're not going to stop at this point. I I just didn't see the offense being stopped by Arkansas at any point in that half. Uh, Just like you said, a pretty efficient uh, way of going about things. I think twice, uh, they had really short fields and scored in either one or two plays. It was either the, the next play or uh, two plays later. You know, Sam Rogers made a really nice diving one-handed catch, bailed Evans out on a, a pretty low throw that was low and away. Uh, Chris Cunningham made a nice catch. Uh, I, I think kind of the impressive thing when I look at this is how many guys contributed to this effort. Uh, Cam Phillips won the MVP, and he he did a lot of his stuff in the first half, Uh, really was the only offensive player going in the first half. Isaiah Ford had some catches early in the second. Bucky Hodges contributed in a lot of ways. Trayvon McMillan had a couple of tough runs uh, to get into the end zone at the end. Uh, Is this just this offense now that – is this personnel that they have that's doing all this stuff, or is it the offense that's allowing this many guys to contribute and, and, and be that effective,
1: do you think? Well, I, I certainly think it's a combination. Um, I think if I think Justin Frente is a really good offensive coach. I think Brad Cornelson's a really good offensive coach. I think had they got here and not had the same plethora of weapons that they have, you would have seen a different approach. But I think when you get somewhere, and, and every coaching staff kind of has their ideal, what they'd like to have. And I think when they got here, uh, they probably looked at this and said, this is pretty close to exactly what they want. I mean, they've got three wide receivers who are going to have At some point, NFL futures, I would think. Um, They have a tailback who, even though they haven't used him as much as you'd think, has a 1,000-yard season under his belt. Um, And what was missing was that quarterback. And they went out and got, to me, the the perfect fit uh, as far as a quarterback in this offense. So, While I certainly think it's a great offense, it's very well-designed, it's it's very uh, ingenious in a lot of the things that they like to do and and how they spread the ball around, uh, I think they also walked into the perfect situation where, hey, we've got this offense— and Virginia Tech says, hey, we got this team that's equipped to run it.
0: I wrote this yesterday and I got a little feedback from uh, an older fan who's a you know supporter of Beamer. I wrote, this isn't a game that they would have won in the past. That, you know, they needed an offense, a Fuente and Cornelson coached offense to w- be able to win this kind of game. Uh, and I said that just because, you know, you know, maybe the Michael Vick years and obviously that was a transcendent talent but any in the last 15 years I don't think Virginia Tech wins that kind of game and I don't think it wins it because a it, it didn't really have the mentality to be, be able to go out and score that quickly uh you know they had a fourth down fourth and one where they went uh decided to punt and I'm like you know you got to go for this you got limited possessions here and, you know, as it turns out, no, they didn't. <laughs> they had plenty of possessions. They had plenty of opportunities to do stuff. And, you know, it, it was sort of an old school thinking of, oh, Virginia Tech's only going to get so many possessions in a half. They have to make the most of every single one of them. I mean, I kind of fall trap to that every now and then. But you you have to, to think of Virginia Tech in a different way now with this offense. And I think, too, I think Arkansas thought that. Arkansas didn't come out in that second half and says, well, we're just going to run the ball 40 times and run out the clock. They were still throwing the ball because I think they knew that 24 points uh, probably was not going to win that game. Uh, you know, this is uh, a Virginia Tech team now that's capable of, of putting up 30 plus points. Where in the past, I think if you got to 28 points or to 24 points even as, as an opponent, you felt pretty good about your chances of winning. Do you think that's uh, a fair statement to say that this is a game this team probably wouldn't have won in the past?
1: It's a really interesting point. I, I think it's so hard to do those hypotheticals because I think that uh, approach-wise, uh, you know, Virginia Tech might not have been down 24-0 uh, at the half to a team that they're that much better than. Um, just well, I don't know. Styles. I've
0: seen some of those bowl games in the past. That, was, <laughs> but, that yeah. was that was the writer's big complaint. I don't like you guys you know, slamming Frank's team. And I'm not slamming Frank's team. I mean, I've been very respectful to Frank. I, I think he was a great coach. I think there's no doubt they slipped a little bit in those last years, and I think there's no doubt that you know the offensive side of the ball wasn't exactly his forte. So I don't think it's exactly slamming Frank's yeah. time. Yeah, and I think to your to point,
1: and I think to your point, what 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 is completely valid about that is you know coaches are very aware of, and we hear it sometimes in their answers. You know, we need this many points to win this game, or it's going to take at least this to win this game. Um, and I think where where your point's absolutely valid is. Because Justin has brought this offense, because they score the way they do, uh, and they attack the way they do, I think Arkansas could not come out in the second half and, like you said, try to run out the clock. It it wasn't an option because Arkansas had to say 24 points isn't going to win this game. My my guess from talking to some of the guys is the number they had was 35. Um, So they had to be a little bit on the attack to get to where they believed they had to get to. Now, because they're on the attack— Virginia Tech's defense has the opportunity to create the takeaways it did. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely fair to say that, um, basically, Virginia Tech's new reputation forced Arkansas into being more aggressive in the second half than you might normally be with a 24-point lead. Uh, and being aggressive is what opened the door. Now, you know, Virginia Tech still has to take advantage of it and all of that, but, you, but you're absolutely right to say that um, I think in past years Arkansas – Takes that twenty-four point lead, and their plan is to win the game by twenty-four points and get out of there that way. Um, and that wasn't going to fly on Thursday.
0: Was this a Virginia Tech comeback, like colossal comeback, or a colossal Arkansas meltdown? You know, Arkansas had a rough day. Uh, you know, tight end turns out gets suspended for the game for shoplifting at a Belk store during a Belk shopping trip in the Belk Bowl. I was trying to see how many belks I could get into that sentence, Uh, which I mean, just the absurdity of that story was amazing before the game. A little meltdown on the field. Uh, Drew Morgan, the receiver, the official said he spit in a Virginia tech player face. Uh, That's why he got the, uh, how they term it, flagrant unsportsmanlike conduct and the ejection. Uh, Just seemed like a a complete collapse on the Arkansas part. Arkansas, I don't think was a great team. Obviously finished seven and six this year. So uh, was this a, a bigger deal for Virginia Tech to come back and win, or for Arkansas to fall apart like that?
1: Yeah, I don't want to slight Arkansas, because um, their collapse was monumental, and, and they deserve so much blame for, for the way things unfolded. Um, just not a team that, that had composure in the second half uh, in, in any regard. That being said, I, I thought because of the way it unfolded with Virginia Tech's takeaways, um, with their pressure on, on the quarterback. I thought Virginia Tech was the aggressor in the comeback. I thought they made things happen. Now, certainly it takes two to tango, and Arkansas being um, just really inept and collapsing in the second half uh, fed into it. But I thought Virginia Tech drove that point and made that the storyline by getting after Austin Allen, by getting into passing lanes, by being aggressive, going for the ball in the air, by trying to strip the ball uh, when guys had it in their hands for Arkansas. So, um, yes, certainly I don't want to cheat Arkansas at all. Uh, their horrible performance in the second half was very important. Um, but Virginia Tech, I, I thought, was the aggressor and, and made those things happen.
0: Well, I'd say Virginia Tech drew the line on a hard, smart, tough season season. Finishing with a one and zero record in the final bowl game. Did I miss, did I miss any other catchphrases that they had? This I think those are the
1: big cliches. cliches and uh, yeah, I actually wrote about that hard, smart, smart tough, and uh, in today's story. And I said, you know, it probably wasn't smart to make things that hard on yourselves, uh, but they sure did show some toughness. I thought, and um, that's a pretty good line. That, that's very good. I, I do this for a living. How
0: satisfied? <laughs> how satisfied were you after you came up with that line? Do you kind of kick back and just take a you know drink a beer or something like that? Like, oh, oh that was good. That it was, was a pretty good line.
1: It was, yeah. It was in the hotel room uh, after the game, and it's the reason I decided to write a follow up. I was like, oh, I want to use this line. I guess I'll write a follow up for tomorrow instead of just sleeping in and shifting my focus to basketball. But, but I do. I, I did think that that um, that victory really did embody a lot of. Uh, what Justin Fuente has taught and preached, um, and I think for a coach, um, there are few things more rewarding uh, than seeing some of you know the stuff that we make fun of, the catchphrases and and the mottos and the credos. Um, to see a team actually embrace it um, and, and perform that way, I, I think is really satisfying for a coaching staff. And I can't imagine Justin Fuente um, expecting much more out of his first season. Uh, that's about as, as good a debut as as any of us, I think, would have dreamed up for him.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, 10 wins, uh, get back to the ACC title game. You have Clemson run for its money in that game. Uh, you know, a couple disappointing losses along the way to Syracuse and Georgia Tech that kind of came out of the blue. And uh, I think, obviously, they wanted to play better in that Battle of Bristol game. But, you know, for a team that had been essentially 500 for the last four years, uh, this was a pretty good uh, turnaround season. I mean, it, I think – you know, Evans was a huge difference maker in this thing uh you know he took them from you know kind of sneaky good ACC team to really good ACC team uh I'm curious just overall could you give uh could you see an area where they could have been better this year
1: yeah I think what was missing and you referenced it was the two losses to teams that I believe they were better than and and that's been a problem for this program the last five years where uh They've had some marquee wins. They've had some some key wins, especially in the ACC Coastal, uh, but there have been some slip-ups that hurt them. Um, but you're really nitpicking now w- when I say that that was a disappointment because I-, I think when Fuente was hired, I don't think people appreciated the pressure he was facing. A lot of people looked at Bronco Mendenhall and UVA and said, how are you going to make things better there? And that's a dumpster fire, and he may never do that. Who knows? Um, But I think Fuente was under the opposite side of pressure. He inherited a program that, while yes, people were down on Frank and and things hadn't been as great the last few years, they never got back. This was still a team that always beat Virginia. This was still a team that was always in contention for most of the year in the Coastal. Uh, And this was always a team that was going to a bowl game. And it would have been, in my opinion, excusable for any of those things to slip in year one. Justin Fuente's trying to get his program established. He's got his eyes on the future. Uh, It it would have been understandable if any of those things went by the wayside, but I don't think fans would have agreed. I think fans would have been livid. I think they would have been discouraged. I think they would have done what fans do, which is overreact. Um, So I think Justin Fuente, to deliver on all of that to add an ACC title game appearance and to get to the 10-win plateau, um, I'm just blown away. I, I thought it was an absolutely outstanding job by that, that whole coaching staff, by the new additions, uh, and, and by the seniors. The, the guys who were recruited thinking that this was going to be what happens as a minimum every season for them to help fight and get the program back to that level. Um, I think everybody associated with tech football walks away from 2016, or should walk away from 2016, uh, feeling pretty good about what they did and, and pretty good about what's coming next.
0: Yeah, I think when most guys take over a program, uh, the program's kind of in the dumps. Some of the previous coach had gotten fired. Yeah. Uh, so you sort of get that grace period as the new coach. So it's like, well, he has time to get his own guys in place and then he'll turn it around. Uh, when you inherit a team that's been to 23 straight bowls, uh, you, you sort of have to hit the ground running and you have to have a successful first season. Otherwise you're going to hear it. Uh, it, it what was that stat they put in the postgame notes? Uh, he's the second coach to inherit a team that made 23 straight bowl games to win 10 games. Like, well, that's a very small group. I think that you're sure is. from, but you know, it sort of underscores the point that they had been to 23 straight bowl games. There were expectations. They may not have been 10 wins. Uh, maybe not in that first year. But I, I think they still had expectations; they were pretty high, and, and he met and exceeded them. I think in that first year, uh, you know, turning the page to look forward here. Uh, you know, and January 16th is the deadline to declare uh, for the NFL draft. Uh, Bucky Hodges will go to the draft this year. Uh, back and forth with his dad last night, confirmed that Bucky is going to enter the draft. Uh, I don't think either of us were too surprised by that. I mean, I, I thought he was really close to going last year before he decided to come back and, you know, playing receiver this year, not his future position in the NFL. I feel like he really uh, had done what he needed to do in college and has the sort of physical skill set that is going to be, you know, guys at the Combine are going to be drooling into his sort of size and speed combination. Would you, I, I would imagine. I think that's a correct assessment.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think the thought process for me was, Bucky was absolutely gone. Um, I would say Gerard Evans absolutely back, although now there's some Internet chatter that maybe that's not the case. And I thought Isaiah Ford was the really interesting one, Um, the guy who uh, wouldn't be wrong to go but wouldn't be wrong to stay. And and those are the really tough decisions uh, in my mind anyway.
0: What do you sense from Ford? Because I – you know, I I, – For the longest time, I'm like, he's gone. He's got to be gone. He's accomplished everything he wants to in college. But you listen to him talk, and he says, I want to get my degree, and I know you can come back and get your degree, but it's just a lot easier if you're just here and you're doing it. Uh, he said he's not submitting the paperwork to the NFL to get feedback, which I think if you were really serious or on the fence about going, that you would do. Uh, you know, His his receiving brother, Cam Phillips, who they've been through thick and thin together here at Virginia Tech, he's going to be back uh i'm starting to think more and more that that ford might be back next year do you get that same feeling or am i just overthinking this thing
1: no it's not that it's i I think if you base it on the information we're being given uh it sounds like there's a really, really good chance i think that some of that is that weird keep everything close to the vest of this program i think now that the season's over uh, one of the first things Isaiah Ford probably ends up doing is submitting that paperwork um, he 's too smart a kid to not have all the information available, um, so I think he submits his paperwork uh, and, and then it 's a question of does that paperwork come back and say first round, second round uh, or or later and um, you know i 've heard some mixed reviews i i think I think he 's an nFL caliber receiver. I think he could go this year, and he would not be one of those kids that that I heavily criticize because i I do think he is ready um but i think there are also things that he can still polish in his game and i wouldn't be surprised if if the nfl views him as more of a second to third round pick and if that maybe was enough to tell isaiah with all the other things you just mentioned playing with cam and, and his teammates um i would not be stunned if isaiah ford came back but i also couldn't blast him for leaving um but I think in terms of that paperwork stuff, I think that was trying to be in the whole, you know, I'm just focused on this game. And when the dust settles and he told me, you know, I'm going to take a day to rest and hopefully sleep the day away, I think when he wakes up he'll realize that he wants all the information possible to make the decision because that, that's just the kind of kid he is.
0: I mean, it's free advice. I wouldn't yeah, turn well, I Free pass. advice. How, how quickly do they turn around those evaluations? I, I, I don't think I've ever gotten a clear answer of how quickly they get an answer on that Well, what's
1: funny is it seems to be hit or miss because – We've had years where at tech where one kid has gotten his back days later uh, and another kid has gotten it back weeks later. Um, we've also had a few where I think the kid didn't like the answer, um, and so we were told he didn't get his paperwork, he didn't get his paperwork, he <laughs> yeah, didn't get his paperwork. we get a lot of those. Yeah, and it turned out he got his paperwork, he just didn't like what it said. So, uh, But you know, obviously they, they've got that service running, and, and it's a great idea. Um, so you put in your paperwork now, I, you'll get it back in plenty of time to make a decision. Um, But it's also possible, I I think it's easier to decide uh, to stay, which is kind of funny to say. I I think if the reasons to stay are there, then it doesn't matter uh, what the NFL paper, because every kid believes they're a first-round pick. Um, And and it isn't until somebody explains to them how it works that they realize maybe that's not the case. So if if teammates and education are bringing Isaiah Ford back, um, then he maybe doesn't need that paperwork. Uh, But if he's seriously considering it, I think you get the paperwork and see what it tells you.
0: I think it'll be interesting with Ford cuz you know he's not a he's not ever going to be a 65 guy. He's not going to be a 43 speed guy. Like it's just that's not him. He's just a really solid all-around receiver. So I'd be curious uh sort of what the feedback is this year and you know if he stays another year what could he potentially get up to cuz it's not like he's going to be 65 next year it's not like he's going to have <laughs> 42 speed. Yeah, it's not like he's going to have 42 speed next year. He's just going to be a very well-rounded receiver uh, and maybe having more experience would help in a situation like that. Uh, you mentioned Evans, uh, who I just had kind of assumed would be back. I asked him before the bowl game at one of those things, uh, you know, do you have an NFL decision to make? And he gave the response, like, I'm just focused on the bowl game and we'll deal with all that later. And I kind of brushed it off as the, uh, the answer that all those guys were giving. And now that I look back on it and some of the news has come out recently, uh, I kind of wonder if it seems like, no, really I'll, I'll, t- I'll think about this later uh last night uh, ricky leblue at tech sideline tweeted that you know gerard evans is leaning towards the nfl draft and a lot of guys on tech sideline will stewart chris coleman who uh, plugged in pretty well hear a lot of stuff a lot of insiders on that site who have been correct a lot of the times on this stuff are saying they're hearing the same thing uh now you know sometimes there's a little bit of game of telephone that goes on with this and oh, gerard's he's sort of thinking about this he's definitely thinking he's he's leaving and you know purple monkey dishwasher by the by the time you get to the end of this whole translation. Uh, but I could see Evans thinking that he should go to the NFL too. He just sort of has that mindset of, you know, I'm, you know, you sort of read his tweets and any perceived slight he hates. And that's, that's motivation for him. He always thinks he's the best on the field. He hates losing. Uh, and he doesn't do it a lot. He doesn't lose a lot because he is a very good player. Uh I still think this maybe would be a premature decision to go to the NFL, uh, you know one year at, at, at the FBS. I think he needs a lot of work in terms of reading coverages, stuff like that. to go and do a second read before you tuck it down and run. but uh, you know I could understand it too if he wanted to go. He had a great year. I mean 43 92 yards and 41 touchdowns. I mean those are numbers that Virginia Tech has never seen, and those stack up pretty well favorably. Uh, what would you think of, of of him possibly going to the league?
1: Okay, so like I said, I couldn't criticize Ford for leaving. Uh, Evans, I feel differently. I I don't think he's ready. Uh, But here's why I think there could be some truth to to everything that that you just said and that's being reported out there. When I talked to him before the bowl, um, we just got on on a random topic about how much he's run the football this year. Uh, And he admitted that he never expected to run it this much and that you do leave a season when you've carried it that much many times beat up and I think in Gerard Evans' mind, there there's a sense that um, maybe the way he's being used, while well, he certainly didn't mind it and embraced it and was outstanding, I think that might factor in here a little bit. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that if enough people tell him uh, he's not good enough, then he'll absolutely go because he'll want to prove them wrong. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that he's not ready and that he's got some technique things quarterback-wise uh, that he can work on at the FBS level to to really make him a pro-prospect quarterback because he's got the size and, and all the physical tools. Um, and I wonder how it plays in the fact that in his mind he's got to be expecting whether this is the plan or not, man, I'm going to come out and run the ball 200 times again next year. Uh, that's a beating. Um, and I don't know what that's going to because you're not going to do that at the NFL level. So I, I, there may be some thought in his mind and in his camp of saying, hey, if you're going to go back to Virginia Tech to run the ball 200 times, what are you really going to show NFL scouts that you didn't show them this year? Uh, I think he'd be wise to come back. I would be surprised if he got a first or second round grade from the advisory committee. Um, and I don't think if you don't get that, I don't think there's any reason to jump. Um, but yeah, it's certainly an interesting storyline and, and one that I didn't anticipate having to be watching at this point.
0: Yeah. I, I can't fault any of these guys for choosing to go because of the nature of the sport they play, the injury risk that's involved with it. Uh, you know, Gerard tore an ACL. Uh, when he was at air force, uh, he broke his wrist when he was at Trinity Valley. He's, you know, nicked up this year, obviously. I mean, he carried the ball 200 plus times this year. You're going to take a a beating doing that. Uh, He's going to turn 23 actually on the day that the last day to declare. Uh, so, you know, he's not exactly on the younger side here. He's, you know, he's had a, a, a long college career where he's kind of bounced around to different places, uh, I wonder if he looks at, you know, he, he mentioned Cam Newton as a guy that he idolizes or, or, you know, he likes the way he carries himself. Cam Newton went the junior college or had to go the junior college route for behavior problems, uh, but then goes to Auburn for one year and then goes to the NFL and is the number one pick. Uh, obviously, Gerard did not have the year that Cam, Cam Newton had a transcendent year. That was uh, unreal. Like as nothing as I, we've seen before. As I mentioned, I covered that as I had a first up, you know, close up first row seat. Uh, of that entire season, uh, you don't win the Heisman, go undefeated, win the national championship without being really dang good. And he, you know, honestly kind of carried a, a, you know, mediocre to good Auburn team. I think if you remove Cam Newton from that equation, they may be seven and five that year because they won so many close games. Uh, Gerard had a very good year, but I mean, honestly, you can look at it and he wasn't even uh, an honorable mention all ACC. I mean, I know we've gone into that and the reasons why, and it's sort of. Uh, pretty split vote with stuff like that, but uh, that's still a fact. Uh, I, You know, he's from Dallas. I wonder if he looks at a situation like Dak Prescott, who, you know, honestly is of a similar build and sort of style of play and, and goes, you know, why can't I be that guy? Why can't I be a fourth-round pick that steps in and plays right now? That mindset kind of plays into I can do anything that these other guys are doing. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, you know. We didn't uh, have too long to talk to him after the game. I think Norm Wood asked him, you know, you have an NFL decision. He says, we'll talk about that later. So that maybe should have been another clue that he's seriously thinking about this thing. Uh, two weeks is a long time. I and mean, it's a long time to think about this and get a lot of feedback from different areas. Uh, I think, obviously, the Virginia Tech coaches would be trying to convince him to come back. And not just for selfish reasons. I think uh, they could look at a bigger picture of development and quarterbacks and go, you, you know, you probably need a little bit more work on some of these quarterback things before you get in a situation where it's, it's dog eat dog and there are roster limits and everybody's fighting for a job. Uh, it's tough to survive in a situation like that if you don't have the full skill set. So, um, I don't know. I mean, gut feeling. What do you think? You think he stays, do you think he goes?
1: I think it's 50, 50, which is crazy because going into the year and even during the year, I would have told you 90, 10, he's coming back. Um, to me, it's a coin toss. Now we don't know. Um, Maybe it's a good thing, if you remember in the preseason when all of a sudden Josh Jackson was a factor in the quarterback competition, maybe that's uh, good news for Virginia Tech because uh, it certainly would be a step back for the program if they have to break in a new quarterback next season. So if you're a Tech fan, well, certainly you wish all these kids the best. Um, having Gerard Evans back is, is huge. Um, but I do think at this point it's a coin toss because all of the reasons we just went over, uh, you know, I, I, I can see his personality being one that makes the jump. Um, but I can also see him being uh, realistic and cerebral enough to, to say, um, I, can, I can achieve more and, and have that desire to want to achieve more um, at the college level. It's going to be a really interesting one to follow.
0: That's going to be a nervous couple of weeks for the Hokies. I mean, he comes back, they're an ACC contender. Uh, if he leaves, you know, Motley is gone too. He's a senior. You have Josh Jackson, Jack Click, and then the incoming freshmen. I mean, they're going to be in the transfer market at that point.
1: Well, and what's uh, crazy is if if it unfolds that way, um, they're looking a lot like, again, depending on Isaiah Ford now also, um, but it's looking a lot like this year where we went in saying, I like what they have weapon-wise, but they have to be good at quarterback, and we just don't know. Evans turned out to be very good. It'll be an interesting storyline if they go into next season with us saying, they've got some pretty good weapons. Uh, they're developed in different places, but I just don't know about quarterback. Uh, that's certainly not a trend and and a pattern that Justin Fuente wants to get into uh, for the long haul.
0: Yeah, I, I think Josh Jackson has good potential, uh, but you can't go into a season with only one guy who has never played before no. with decent potential. You have to sort of hedge your bets a little bit there. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it, it's amazing to think that, you know, best-case scenario now, they could have Ford and, and Gerard come back and be a pretty good offense. A worst-case scenario, they lose two of their top three receivers and their starting quarterback. Uh, I think that would be – That'd be a hit to keeping momentum going from this season and and trying to follow up on a 10 win year. Uh, Let's do game balls. We, uh, you know, do game balls, wrap this thing up here. I'll be a gentleman and let you go first again. uh, (laughs) So you can take all the good players and then I'll, I'll take the the slim pickings after that.
1: Then I'll do exactly that and and not be a gentleman. Um, I'm actually going to go with Gerard Evans offensively. I I know Cam Phillips was the MVP, but um, you know, 22 carries, 87 yards, scored the two touchdowns. Um, his passing numbers twenty one for thirty three uh, that 's very effective two hundred and forty three yards and two touchdowns um, and I think he gets some of the credit for what we talked about in the opening the, the calm demeanor, uh, the belief that if you do what you 're supposed to do you 'll win. I, I think he exudes that he 's not the only guy there's great leaders on that offense, but uh, in addition to being the most talented player, to having the ball in his hands to having the most total yards, uh, I thought he also deserved some some credit uh, for the way he carried himself all year. Uh, and consistently through that, that bowl game. Uh, how, routine, and then,
0: how routine has his numbers become that that doesn't even get the, the bowl MVP winner? Uh, I, mean, uh, I know those that, things that are run. voted on early, but it's like, oh, yeah, another four-touchdown game for Evans and 330 yards. Like, my gosh, that's an amazing – like, the last couple years at Virginia Tech, you would have been writing, you know, these huge odes about this amazing performance. Now we're just like, yeah, another performance like that.
1: Yeah, I'd love to take the time to sit down and say the last five years give me the top – 15 quarterback performances, single game. Uh, I bet uh, what every one of Gerard's games this year makes that list from the last five years. You
0: know, Mike, uh, you just gave me an off season idea. I have to fill eight months of football time. Please take that. that I, I am going to do that. I am going to do that at some point. That's a I great think, idea. Thank
1: you. I think, I think Brewer had a game and, and Logan Thomas had two, uh, that probably were of that caliber. Um, and then I bet it's all Gerard Evans because you're right. We're, we're spoiled by the numbers. Um, uh, when you think about over 300 total yards and counting for four touchdowns, that's a great, great game. And, um, you know, so he gets my my offensive game ball. It probably got overlooked a little bit there in terms of the MVP. And uh, defensively, there were a lot of guys to pick. So I don't think I'm going to leave the cupboard bear when I take Anthony Chagag. I, I was impressed by him because. He hasn't been the number one guy at whip. You know, they've wanted to play small and fast with Mook Reynolds, who also had a great game. But um, they wanted a little more size in this matchup. They gave Chicago more playing time. And he didn't just respond by making the plays that that he's supposed to make. He made big plays. Uh, You know, the six tackles, that's great. He had a sack in there. He had a forced fumble in there. He had an interception in there. Um, Just really active. And it goes back to the old school Virginia Tech where that whip position, uh, those were the guys that made the game-changing plays for so many years. And, um, you know, Chigag, I think, is a guy that every coach we've talked to since he's been there has liked, but then not really played that much. Um, Kind of been a special teams guy. And I was really impressed with his play. So defensive game ball to Anthony Chigag and offensive to Gerard Evans.
0: Uh, you left me the game MVP, Cam Phillips, so I'll take him, who, as it turns out, grew up in Charlotte. Yeah, how about 12 that? 12 years old. It's like, that would have been great to know. Last week, Cam, where was this? He's like, it was in my bio. It's like, oh, man, I got to read these things more carefully. <laughs> uh, I thought Cam was the only guy that really, from start to finish, was there the entire time. Uh, six catches, 115 yards, had another four carries for, for uh, 16 more. I mean, just a pretty good game outside of that muff punt that was a – uh uh, sort of a blunder that turned into a 12 minute ordeal when they were discussing what to do with that thing uh really strong finish for him for the season I mean he almost got to a thousand yards this year that kind of snuck up on me I didn't you know I was monitoring Isaiah Ford's numbers the whole year and then you know out of nowhere Cam Phillips almost gets to that point uh I think he'll be primed for a really big season next year uh defensively uh, you know, Chicago. I thought he was the guy that that was the best. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds had a really good game, ta- one and mm-hmm. a half tackles for loss and a pick. I'll go with Mook Reynolds, though. Yeah. <laughs> sort of finishing up this, uh, you know, the two whips, they had a really yeah. great game. Uh, three tackles for loss, two sacks, first two sacks of his career, and it really got those sacks at key moments at the end when Arkansas was trying to mount some kind of comeback and just couldn't do it, so... Uh, yeah, I'll give it to Mook in this, and well, it'll be a big the whip whip linebacker parade for our game balls in this. Do we have anything else to add to the, this uh, season-ending podcast?
1: Here, are we going to do any more of these after this? I mean, I'm available, so we can we can talk stuff in the off season. Okay, maybe
0: once we get to sort of a, a threshold of stuff to talk about, we'll, we'll get together. Yeah,
1: maybe when about. we have all the NFL decisions, we can kind of recap them. But I think one thing that I'm curious your take, but it's worth noting is. Um, I think we both thought things would work pretty well with the marriage of Justin Fuente and Bud Foster. Um, What did you think of the way that paired up, you know, offense, defense, what Bud was allowed to kind of continue with his own uh, fiefdom there a little bit on the defense while also being very much an assistant coach to Justin Fuente. Um, I was impressed with how that uh, partnership worked, and I would not be surprised to see it continue. You know, I think I had sort of had in my head that this was like a trial year and they'd see how it worked and, and maybe, Bud might go his own way after that. I now have more of a sense that um, Bud Foster enjoyed this year is a good partner and pairing with Justin Fuente, and uh, I would not be surprised if that's the way Bud continues his coaching career.
0: Yeah, I I never got the impression that it was you know fractious at all. I feel like Bud enjoyed his time here. He you know he said he was rejuvenated several times during the season. Uh, you know, and I think that's sort of born out of the fact that Fuente had experienced that at a previous place. Uh, you know, Gary Patterson was a real defensive-minded guy, and obviously Fuente in the offense, and it sounds like Patterson left him to his own devices to run the offense as he saw fit. And I, I think, you know, Fuente took that to heart and said, you know, when I become a head coach, I'm going to do that same thing. And, you know, by all... Uh, by all indications, he let Bud go about his his work on defense uh it, it you know you look over on the sideline i don't I never see Fuente really meddling in anything. he's sort of the overseer of everything and lets Cornelson handle the offense and lets Bud handle the defense and he handles the big picture stuff because that's what the head coach is supposed to do so yeah no no uh, doubt and I feel like Fuente is a a pretty laid back guy to work with uh maybe- probably not as intense as Gary Patterson. I would say, Uh, certainly not on the sideline. You know, he can ratchet it up and practice a little bit, but uh, I think he just sort of has that demeanor that he's an easygoing guy somewhat to work with. And, uh, you know, that makes life a lot easier for
1: Bud. Yeah. I think, I think one demeanor has been interesting to watch all year. I, I think he's very stern and serious, but in a calm way. Um, You know, he doesn't seem like, we've seen him fly off the handle at some calls, but every coach uh, does that. But for the most part, you're right. He's, He's pretty stoic and um, it seems like the operation he has set up is one that Bud Foster can operate in um, for as many years as Bud wants to continue doing it. And I was very impressed with um, that pairing and, and how Justin's ability on offense allowed Bud to maybe be more aggressive at times of defense. It allowed Bud's defenses to have some games that maybe weren't perfect. And I know they talked about that in the beginning. So, um, I think when you think about the future, uh, that those guys as a pairing, it worked out about as well as you could imagine.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. So, you know, we'll see how this uh, goes into next season. Obviously, the NFL decision's here. they got to close on the recruiting class. A couple big targets out there that I'm sure people will be living and dying with every tweet that those guys have. But uh, we'll come back and do this once we get en- enough stuff to talk about. We always find a way to, to stretch this a little bit. So This was a pretty good one to close on, I think, though. So. For Mike Barber, this is Andy Bitter. We'll talk to you sometime soon.